informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us on the program today. Great to have you along for the ride. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Got a busy show lined up for you here today. Coming up in segment two, we'll have a conversation with DTN Crops editor Jason Jenkins, looking at some stories that he is watching here as we wrap up the year. After the bottom of the hour, we'll talk farmland values and more with Randy Dickhoot from Agricultural Economic Insights. And then at the end of the show, we're going to take a look at some winter equipment maintenance tips and more with Kyle Parker from Senex. So all that and more is on the way here on the program today. Want to kick things off, though, and have a conversation about winter rail safety and more as we wrap up the year. Joining us now, the Executive Director of Operation Lifesaver, Rachel Male. Rachel, thanks for joining us again on AOA. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Appreciate you uh, making the time to join us today. Thank you, Jesse. Happy holidays to you. I love being on the show, and I'm so happy to uh, share the rail safety message, especially now as we go into the holidays and winter. Definitely. Well, we'll talk about some safety tips as we work through the winter months here in a minute, but I want to recap Rail Safety Week 2023. I know we talked about that during Rail Safety Week earlier this fall, and uh, I know we got some different results out from the Rail Safety Week in general. Can you just talk about that new report that OLI has uh, put out here this month? Sure. Well, first, I want to say thank you because it's thanks to partners like you that our reach across the country has really expanded and continues to expand getting that rail safety message out not just during rail safety week but throughout the year really impressive uh, our total print and media newswire stories during rail safety week this year rose 60 percent over last year and our broadcast news stories mentioning rail safety week rose just under 50 percent so 49.8 percent um from last year so it's really thanks to our partners like you. And we certainly did a show with you then. So thank you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. No, we are happy to help spread that rail safety message uh, with you guys. So definitely happy to help. I, I know a, a lot of efforts on stopping track tragedies uh, during this rail safety week. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, one of the things that we do is we want to prevent, and it's our mission as an organization, we want to prevent death and injuries around trains and tracks, and we want to get that rail safety message out. And as I go around the country meeting and talking to people, find out that people don't think about or they haven't learned how to or where to cross the train tracks. Or they will say, well, I never see a train here. And we need to let them know that any time is train time. You know, a train can come in either direction at any time. They don't run on schedules. Um you know, when you are crossing the tracks, you should only cross a designated crossing when it's safe to cross and the gates are up. So getting that word out is really, really important because we are trying to change human behavior or teach people the correct human behavior to do. Well, uh, let's think about some of that correct behavior that we need to do here during the holidays and during the winter months. I know uh, looking at Different travel plans, obviously snow, ice can impact uh, folks' travel as well. But of course, uh, thinking about the winter months, uh, there are plenty of rail safety tips that we want to keep in mind. And I think some of these can definitely you know, be, you know, 
taken into account year round, but especially during the winter months when, when things could be a little bit hectic uh, on the weather side and adverse, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, give us some uh, winter rail safety tips if you can, Rachel. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, you know, snow and ice conditions. So we always want people to slow down, especially when approaching a railroad crossing. Um, you should always expect to train at any crossing at any time in either direction. So you should look and listen as you approach the railroad crossing. Um, some crossings have lights and or gates and some just have the cross buck there. So it's really important to slow down, stop, look and listen because the snow and the wind can muffle the sound of an oncoming train and visibility could be poor. Um, never try to beat a train. And this is really important year round. You know, don't go around the, the gates if they're down and if the lights are flashing, don't try to uh, get in front of that train to get to the other side. Um, don't ever walk, bike, ski, snowmobile, or play on or near the railroad track. Not only is it dangerous, it is illegal. Train tracks are private property. Um, so we really want people to stay away. If uh, you get stuck on the tracks for any reason whatever vehicle you're in a car or a bus um an agri piece of agricultural equipment or a snowmobile you know the first thing you should do is get out of that vehicle and get away from the track at the cross buck which is the signal um you will find a blue and white sign called the ens sign and there's a, a toll-free number on that call that number and let the dispatcher know that locator identification number which is under that number uh, so they can pinpoint where you are to get a message to the train. Um, but the first thing you want to do is you want to get out of that vehicle and get away from the tracks. Well, and I think about this, and those are great tips, and it's good reminders because I think sometimes we – we we tend to forget some folks do anyway that you know trains can't stop quickly, and I, I know some of the stats you guys share. What is it? Every three hours, someone in the U.S. Uh, is uh, either a person or a vehicle is hit by a train. I, you know, thinking about stopping track, yeah, stopping track tragedies, things like that are staggering to hear, Rachel. Yes, and uh, I think we try to get out in every single state into schools and bus rodeos. Uh, 4-H clubs, boys and girls clubs, and state fairs, anywhere we can to get this rail safety message out. And we would love to have your listeners join us as volunteers. We're always looking for partners. Our partners, as I mentioned early on, are how we get the rail safety message out. Um, working with our state programs in almost every state in the country. We're in about 47 states. So there is someone close to you who can help you get involved with us. Well, and, and thinking about getting involved as well, as you mentioned, becoming a volunteer, or I know too, you guys have a lot of great online assets available in terms of videos and infographics and, and many educational type resources. I know folks can find a lot of that stuff on your guys' website, as well as uh, learning about becoming a volunteer and much more. They can do uh, all of that online, can't they, Rachel? Yes, and our website is oli.org. And there's a wealth of resource and information on there. So please reach out to us, check out the webpage, download the materials and share it and take the rail safety pledge or take the transit pledge if you live in an area where you can take transit. 
Rachel, great thoughts as always. A good reminder here during the uh, holiday season. Before we let you go, anything final you want to share or reiterate just as we think about overall rail safety here, not only during the holidays and the winter months, but at any time of year, uh, what would you uh, say to folks to add and kind of wrap it up here today? If you see tracks, think train. That is the most important message. I was going to say, that's a good message to share. And again, uh, I couldn't agree more. See tracks, think train. OLI.org is where you can find more information from Operation Lifesaver. And we've been talking with their executive director, Rachel Molly. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA once again today. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much, Jesse. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And I look forward to working with you in 2024. Thank you very much. Rachel Molley there with Operation Lifesaver. Up next, we'll have a conversation with DTN Crop Senator Jason Jenkins here on AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts in farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs 
It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyour6.org. That's gotyour6.org. Using the number six. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Well, of course, we are nearing the end of the year, and we want to talk about some things happening on the crops side. Joining us now for a conversation, DTN Crops Editor Jason Jenkins is with us. Jason, it's great to have you back on AOA with me. I hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and yours. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, glad to be back. Well, let's talk. Uh, I know that uh, you and the editors at DTN have been counting down some of the top ag stories of the year. That is ongoing here as we uh, work through this week towards the uh, year end on uh, on the DTN website. And one of those big stories is, is one that I wanted to dive in and talk to you about a little bit more is uh, some of the enlist news and the restrictions surrounding the Endangered Species Act and more. Uh, get us up to speed. Where are things at? What are we looking at first off before we dive into kind of where things stand right now, Jason? Yeah, Jesse. Uh, here in just a couple weeks ago, uh, news came out from EPA that the uh, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had uh, released its final biological opinion um, in regards to uh, enlist herbicides, uh, enlist one and enlist duo, uh, and their impact or potential impact on endangered species. Uh, your listeners probably will recall that uh, when enlist was uh, registered back in uh, January of 2022, uh, there were quite a few restrictions, uh, counties in different states uh, where, pro, uh, where the herbicide was prohibited. Uh, they eased off on some of those restrictions uh, later that year, um, but as the uh, biological opinion has come through, um, they determined uh, that Enlist can be used in quite a few other places where it had been prohibited, and so those uh, county-wide restrictions have been removed in 10 more states and down to a sub-county level, uh, which is good news for farmers uh, who wish to use that system. Well, Jason, as we move forward into 2024, I know there's still a lot of talk surrounding using Enlist in the Endangered Species Act. And, of course, there's still uh, plenty of those conversations uh, being had out there. Should farmers be at all concerned moving into next year uh, that we could see some restrictions come back on for Enlist products? I mean, what's some of the latest you're hearing there? Can we expect to be able to use Enlist products in 2024? Well, Jesse, the, the issue really goes beyond uh, enlist uh, to virtually all herbicides. Uh, in 2023, uh, EPA, as part of its settlement of the mega suit um, dealing with Endangered Species Act, uh, they agreed to put forth a uh, herbicide strategy for dealing with uh, off-target off use or off-target movement of pesticides and herbicides. And uh, that final plan uh, will be coming out sometime in early 2024. What that will look like, uh, who's to say? It's uh, been heavily debated in the draft form this fall. Uh, most of your agriculture groups have come out uh, requesting multiple changes. Um, and in some cases, asking for the whole strategy that EPA put forth to be thrown out and start over. 
Well, that's very interesting. I mean, if we throw that out, start over, things like that, it just feels like it could be um, kind of just more continued back and forth. And I, I have to think you hear from a lot of farmers and, and farm groups as you look at these stories, Jason. I think a lot of folks just want certainty at this point, don't they? Well, from the from the get go on this issue, uh, what the the folks at EPA have been saying is we you know we're trying to give farmers reliable access to these uh, to these products, these herbicides, pesticides, while at the same time um, following what they're supposed to do as as law under the Endangered Species Act. And EPA has admitted that you know essentially for 40 years they haven't followed. Uh, the Endangered Species Act when registering pesticides. And so this is their attempt to uh, to try to fix that. Um, the problem is the, uh, the, the number of active ingredients that are registered going through these one at a time. It takes years to go through registration and re-registration process. Mm -hmm. And the courts aren't allowing uh, EPA to have years and years, uh, they they want to they want an answer now, and so they've they've come up with this herbicide strategy, which essentially throws a blanket over everything, uh, whether whether or not a, an endangered species uh, might be present or not. Um, growers are going to, if the herbicide strategy as presented uh, this year would go through, would be required to do a number of things to earn points uh, in a points system to allow them to use those herbicide products that they rely on for their weed control. A lot of things to uh, definitely keep an eye on. Could be a busy uh, year once again on the herbicide front as we get into 2024. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, it's one of the uh, top stories from DTN and its uh, editors here. And Jason Jenkins, DTN Crops Editor, is with us. And again, Jason, uh, no shortage of uh, big headline stories. And uh, want to give a plug for um, what you guys are running down the top 10 on the DTN website. I know folks can... Keep checking there here through the end of the year for uh, more of the uh, top stories of the year, can't they, Jason? Absolutely. Yes, uh, our senior editors uh, went back through all the stories we covered uh, during 2023, and it was tough to boil it down to just top the top ten. Uh, but uh, we put that list together, and we'll be running it through the uh, through the end of the year. And I know folks can find that. Just go to DTNPF.com for more information. Jason, I know, too, uh, before we run out of time today, uh, it's that time of year. A lot of folks are making decisions for next year, seed decisions. You know, they're booking various inputs, so putting uh, pen to paper, pencil to paper at least. Uh, one of your other recent stories you had back in late November, uh, new soybean varieties, uh, uh, out here for 2024, I know Nutrient has acquired a soybean breeding program. Talk about that story for us a little bit here. What's some of the details there? Yeah, uh, Nutrient uh, announced that they had uh, acquired from BASF uh, a soybean breeding program. Uh, it included some breeding sites both in Arkansas and Mississippi and uh, will kind of help fill out their uh, seed portfolio under the uh, Dynagro brand uh, of soybean products uh, that they currently uh, sell. Uh, but they weren't the only ones uh, announcing uh, soybean varieties. Of course, it's that time of year, uh, much like the automobile industry rolls out the new lines, uh, the, the seed companies have been rolling out their new offerings, and there's quite a few new uh, products out there, uh, not only from folks like BASF, but uh, the folks at Bi uh, Pioneer and Corteva, 
and, and Bayer all uh, have uh, different uh, varieties out this year. Many that use those enlist traits uh, that we were recently talking about, uh, but also the uh, the uh, Dicamba systems under the Extendamax uh, brand as well. So lots of different things there to consider. I know in the soybean world, uh, one of the things getting a lot of headlines these days is uh, soybean cyst nematode yeah. and making sure that you're planting varieties that uh, have resistance uh, to the SCN that might be present in your field. Uh, there's a couple of different uh, types of resistance uh, that is available within soybean varieties. So it's good to make sure that you're keeping track of that and knowing what, what you have in your field and, and what will work well to help uh, keep that pest from being a problem. And I was, uh, I'm glad you brought up SCN because as you talk with uh, growers and uh, it's winter meeting season, of course, uh, you know, thinking about things like SCN or I'd have to think uh, on the cord side too, tar spot, uh, are those some of the biggest concerns for farmers thinking about diseases and weeds heading into next year? Is that, what are you hearing from farmers uh, across the country here towards the end of the year? Well, as we know, drought was a was a big uh, story in 2023. Yeah. Uh, but our crops showed quite a bit of resilience. Um, and uh, whereas a lot of people thought, yeah, you know, maybe this is a year that our production falls off. Well, we can see that you know corn and, and soybeans uh, still did very well uh, production wise uh, this year. And so as we look into 2024. Uh, we're we're dealing with an El Nino right now. What is that going to do for uh, precipitation over the winter time? Will be will those uh, subsurface uh, soils will they will they get recharged with uh, that moisture uh, for the next year? Uh, those kind of things uh, farmers will be looking at and trying to figure out. You know, do I need, you know, how did my varieties or my hybrids perform if I had drought condition? Do I need to maybe look at a, a different variety that uh, seemed to do better uh, under those conditions in soils that were like mine? Um, but yeah, disease obviously is always an issue. Uh, tar spot this year uh, wasn't nearly as bad as maybe in some other years just because it was dry and uh, that disease requires requires some moisture to get going. Um, we did see it in some new places, though, so it is still a developing situation that uh, growers need to keep an eye on as well. Well, we do really appreciate a conversation, and uh, with that, DTN Crops Editor Jason Jenkins. Jason, thanks for joining us on AOA today. Always appreciate it, and uh, wish you a happy new year. We will uh, talk to you again in the future. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again for having me, Jesse. Take care. All right, coming up next, we'll talk farmland values and more with Randy Dickhoot from Agricultural Economic Insights here on AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, 
providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. The grains are mixed this morning. Corn is up a couple of pennies. Beans are hovering right around unchanged while wheat is sharply higher. March Kansas City wheat finished lower on Friday with both Chicago and Minneapolis slightly higher. Chicago March stands alone trading above both the 20 and 50 day moving averages on the heels of recent China purchases of soft red winter wheat. Now those other two markets traded below those benchmarks and in Paris the March milling wheat contract fell for four consecutive days to end last week. The U.S. dollar index plunged to its lowest level since the end of July on Friday pressured by the anticipated end to rate hikes by the Federal Reserve and with the lower dollar that should be bullish for U.S. wheat export prospects. And as for corn, after reaching a new contract low last week, March corn futures are opening higher today. Now, perhaps the biggest news over the weekend is the reopening of two rail crossings into Mexico at Eagle Pass and El Paso, the temporary closing of which did cast a bearish pall on an already weak corn futures market. Shipments to Mexico will resume, but have been backed up since the early week closure. U.S. export demand is remaining solid, with sales and inspections for this crop year up 36% and 27%. While soybeans rose modestly to finish last week and are expected to trade around steady today, the Buenos Aires Exchange in Brazil crop estimates continue to be all over the board, with the USDA at a record large 161 million metric tons, but some private estimates are ranging from 8 to 10 million metric tons lower than that. For U.S. soybean demand, exports are remaining down 16% from a year ago, and soy processing margins remain stout but lower than a few months ago. Cash crush margins are running above $2.50 per bushel, while soymeal exports for the first quarter of the crop year were record large. Demand for soybean oil should continue to accelerate with additional renewable diesel plants coming online. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best. The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, you cannot learn. Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades, and simply just their well-being. Thank you! Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at helpnokidhungry.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, we want to have a conversation about farmland values here as we wrap up 2023 and move into 2024. Also want to maybe get into some of the trends in farmland ownership and more. Joining us for a conversation, he is with Agricultural Economic Insights. Randy Dickhood is with us. Randy, good to uh, talk with you and uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours and a Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us here on the program. Hope you're doing well. 
Doing well. Thank you, Jesse, and hope you are too. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I appreciate the time. So let's just start and kind of take a broad brush here and, and look at where farmland values stand as we wrap up 2023 and enter 2024. I know you know, all year long, I feel like I've heard the stories about these record land sales in parts of the Midwest, et cetera, et cetera. So as you look at things, where do we stand right now in terms of farmland values? Well, I think 2023 ended up surprising uh, quite a few people and the fact that the land market and the land prices were stronger than once was thought kind of first of the year or so due to the negative factors like higher interest rates coming, uh, raising borrowing costs, uh, high input costs, lowering the potential, you know, estimated or projected profits for farmers uh, in the grain belt. And so all those factors together and the uncertainty thought it might be a little softer and maybe, um, you know, decline a little bit even, but in reality, it kind of settled out. It got fairly quiet early in the year and then later in the year the bidding was pretty aggressive and i think everyone probably underestimated how much liquidity or cash reserves that uh, some farmers had from the profitable you know past few years and when a good farm comes up for sale uh farmers um go bid for it because it doesn't come uh for sale very often and so at the end of the year i think uh, Auction prices were pretty strong. There were some no sales, you know, so the quality of the land wasn't as good. But um, yeah, I think uh, the year ended up pretty strong and see where next year goes. Well, in terms of, I think you mentioned this, a lot of farmers having plenty of cash reserves after good years of uh, commodity prices and more. And so, yeah, um, your thoughts on that? It's kind of interesting to see a lot of farmers, you know, investing in some of those capital investments such as adding land to their operation and more did that uh, was that something that surprised you or not here throughout the year randy i think it was a little stronger uh, like i said the earlier part of the year did quiet down there weren't as many sales mm-hmm. and and seems like things were just kind of stabilizing or plateauing and and that's basically what it did you know iowa state said you know, um, land valuers are up 3.7% year over year in Iowa. And you see similar, you know, just small increase year over year. But again, I think, uh, you know, farmers will burn through that, uh, you know, cash available, uh, whether from purchases, higher input costs, higher living costs and stuff. So, you know, I think that will slow down a little bit as we go um, into 24 and beyond, but it'll sure depend on commodity prices and uh, yields and this lingering drought that we may or may not have. That's a great point. That's a great point. I I know in terms of interest rates, too, there's obviously a lot of concern about that uh, across the country and in rural America as well. Um, And I know the Fed, there's this talk about rates starting to seeing rate cuts or easing, you know, trying to get this soft landing as we get into 2024. Do you envision that this interest rate environment could still be a, a major headwind for some farmers in terms of purchasing land as we move into next year? Well, when it takes uh, upwards of $3 million to buy a quarter section of, you know, prime yeah. uh, cropland in, in the uh, heart of the Midwest, there's only so many $3 million lying around <laughs> in the neighborhood. So I think, you know, there'll be more borrowing uh, as, as land purchases go along and land sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a good thing is, and, you know, I think what's muted the effect 
so far on a lot of producers. You know, they locked in long-term rates at very low end, you know, uh, levels for their fixed rates and longer-term loans, which really helps that cash flow, you know, in comparison to what might be today. And then I think farmers always been probably a little more optimistic those interest rates wouldn't last hot and as long and as high as they were kind of being talked about you know, months ago, and seems like that may be what's coming about. And so they may weather it out and, uh, you know, looking for the rates to drop off some this year. Okay. Randy, let's talk about the trend in ownership here of farmland. I know we've obviously had plenty of news headlines here in 2023 about foreign investment in farmland here in the U.S. and things like that. And wondering, you know, I see the urban sprawl in many parts of the country as well, wondering if developers are buying up good quality farmland for that. What is the trend? Is it mainly farmers, you know, bidding against farmers for a lot of this high quality ground still? Or are we seeing some of those other outside, you know, influences coming into this farmland market? That's a good point. And I think it's something that is kind of changing gradually. Uh, of course, we know that uh, aging of landowners, aging of the general population, aging of farmers is going to kick in. And uh, more over the uh, coming couple decades, and you know, I'm a firm believer that um, you know the baby boom age of farmers are in that prime retirement age, give or take some years, and when they retire, so that'll create some change in whether they have a farming heir or neighbor they want to turn it all over to or not, or else they'll uh, you know rent it out, and so those things will play out. I think. Uh, what we're seeing, you know, farmers typically buy 60 to 80% of what comes up for sale in a in an area. And uh, depending on the state laws and regulations, uh, then you have local investors, you know, uh, in the area that want to buy and add to their farm portfolio that they've inherited or purchased themselves. And then you have outside investors, individuals, and then you have your institutional, you know, pension funds and so forth. And we've got new uh, entrance into that institutional or, or capital fund uh, buyers uh, that are pooling, um, you know, uh, stakes or interest or shares or uh, uh, fractional interest in farmland to multiple people in purchasing farms. So that's not uh, a large amount of the purchases, but it's a few that are taken off the market and a few less that farmers have a chance to bid on openly. So mm -hmm. combine it all together. I think there's a little, little more emphasis on, uh, you know, that institutional and investor buyer, but there's still a smaller part of it. And farmers, you know, when they can buy, buy those good farms that come up for sale. You mentioned uh, renting of ground, and I know that's a big piece of our puzzle as well. A any notes on just uh, cash rental rates and things like that that we're watching as we move into next year? I think, you know, conventional wisdom would say, you know, costs or um, inputs are, you know, backed off some um, after 2023 when they were really, really high. So mm -hmm. that's going to help some. But these lower commodity prices, but 
Boy, that big wild card is, like I said, you know, was this drought going to linger or will that be into next growing season or not? You know, we're a long ways off. We've got what's going on in South America. We've got, uh, you know, geopolitical events around the world. So these commodity prices may or may not stay down where they are. Uh, and those individual farmers and their yields on their operations may or may not be affected. And so a lot of wild cards to tell, but I think as far as the cash rent market, um, there's still farmers, you know, bidding pretty aggressively for land. Uh, also cash rents, you know, a little slower to go up and they're a little slower to come down. So I think once they get to a level, they're, they're kind of sticky there unless there's a change going on uh, and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, farmers want to control those acres and don't like to give them up. So uh, they may bank on uh, like a tough year and getting through that to look to something that's better. Randy, uh, I'm kind of crystal balling here just a little bit before we wrap up. But obviously, you know, we see the the trends in, in farmland prices and it always feels like Iowa, Illinois continue to be kind of the leaders in, in the farmland market. But but some other states have kind of shown some record land sales here this uh, this past year as well. Like I think North Dakota, you know, Missouri, some other states that are, are kind of outside the, the I states, so to speak. Do you do you anticipate we could see more, you know, record type land sales in some of the I don't want to say fringe states to the Corn Belt, but I don't know how else to explain it, Randy. What do you think? <laughs> the uh, non-traditionally looked at as the uh, heart of the Corn Belt states, yeah. we'll say. We'll put it that way. Long, yeah. long explanation. You're exactly right. You know, what happens, especially the northern plains there, uh, as as the growing season expanded, their crop choices have expanded, new genetics and corn and soybeans have allowed you know, uh, farmers in those northern states raise more um, profitable crops than, than they have in the past. So that you know, flows down to the value of that land. And you take Missouri, for instance, you get some of the areas that are really productive there that can compete with, with good yields. Um, and that gets, um, you know, factored into that value of the land. And then there's that competition. Again, there's only so much land that comes up for sale in those good farms. And uh, farmers know those uh, in the neighborhood. And so they're going to bid for those because in the long run, uh, that will pay them off the most and uh, be most profitable and pass on down to to the next generation of that farm operation that they can be proud of. So I definitely think, you know, uh, some of those are catching up in Nebraska and, you know, other Indiana's had huge jumps uh, recently, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the value of that production and, uh, and the genetics and so forth have allowed better yields to be produced on even soils that we once thought were not quite as good. So a lot of technical practices, farmer farmer expertise and genetics and ag- agronomic practices are improving yields everywhere, and therefore the, the value of the land. Well, a lot of great thoughts. Appreciate the conversation. Folks can learn more AEI.ag. Randy Dickhoot with Agricultural Economic Insights. Thanks for joining us here on the show today. We appreciate the time. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thank you, Jesse. Merry Christmas to you. All right, coming up next, we'll wrap up the show with a conversation with Kyle Parker from Cenex here on AOA. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. 
victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And my electrical was deemed unsafe. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is a safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes. And Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and want to see us do well and want to see us succeed. And we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply, about how the right fuel will keep equipment running in the winter. Charlie, what happens to diesel fuel in equipment when temperatures drop, and why does that matter? Standard number two diesel fuel generally does not fare well in cold temperatures. Diesel fuel can form crystals and clog filters and fuel lines, and prolonged freezing temps can cause engines to not operate properly. That can basically lead to that dreaded downtime that we all hate. So uh, it's really important to take precautions to prevent these issues from occurring, especially in cold weather conditions. Charlie, when should farmers switch their diesel blends? Yeah, so every situation is going to be slightly different and somewhat temperature dependent. So it's important that you work with a knowledgeable fuel supplier who has a grasp on the diesel characteristics in their geography. With that being said, you should be blending your tanks to a winter blend when temperatures are right around the freezing point or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's important to blend early and when the fuel is at least 10 degrees above the cloud point of the fuel or it won't mix well together. When you're thinking about cost and performance, what's the best way to determine the best winter fuel blend? So you will need to decide really what's best for your individual operation and what temperature you expect to be able to operate your equipment in. So if your operation relies on your equipment needing to be up in those harshest climates, you're undoubtedly going to need to invest in a diesel blend that's going to meet those needs. You're going to run the risk of being stranded on the side of the road, unable to perform your critical tasks. So it's best to discuss the specific needs with your fuel supplier as they're going to be able to deliver the high quality Cenex fuels at the correct blends for optimal performance and peace of mind. Well, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? 
then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, harvest is tough, and now that you've made it through some of the hardest weeks of the year, you know, both you and your equipment deserve a little R&R. But before you store your equipment for winter, it's important to perform some basic equipment maintenance to ensure it's running its best come planting time next spring. Joining us now to talk about that, Kyle Parker, Lubricants District Manager with CHS Inc. and the Senex brand, here to talk about some of the most important considerations when storing equipment for the winter. Kyle, first off, thank you for joining us on the program today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's dive in and talk about this. What is the first thing farmers should do after harvest and before storing their equipment for the winter, Kyle? You know, the first thing I would I would suggest is just to do a basic walk around of the equipment and look for any obvious leaks or wear points. You know, by doing this, you might see something that you didn't notice during harvest. And then secondly, and more importantly, I would recommend taking oil samples of your engine and hydraulic system. This is the best method for detecting problems internally before they can become catastrophic. And at Senex, we offer an easy-to-use do-it-yourself kit called our LubeScan Used in Oil Analysis. We recommend performing the LubeScan Oil Analysis anytime before you store your equipment for a long period or before you change the oil or hydraulic oil. This analysis can give you an opportunity to fix any issues before putting your equipment away for the winter so that it would be ready for the planting season. Well, Kyle, what should farmers uh, think about beyond uh, those great tips when it comes to keeping engines protected while they're being stored? What would you say to that? First off, I would encourage every producer to consider changing their engine oil before putting the equipment away in storage. Even if you did perform a lube scan used oil analysis, it is best to replace the oil before winter. The longer the oil has been used, the less effective it becomes at protecting against rust and corrosion. For the ultimate engine protection, you could consider using our Senex Maxtron and Viradge full synthetic diesel engine oil. This is a high quality engine oil that is engineered for maximum lifespan and excellent protection against wear. Secondly, I would suggest that you top off all your hydraulic tanks. To function properly, hydraulic systems need to breathe. But since they're not airtight, they're prone to letting in moisture as equipment sits all winter. You can minimize the airspace inside your hydraulic system to avoid any moisture from getting in. And to further minimize condensation, you may want to consider switching to a full synthetic hydraulic fluid like our Maxtron THF, 
which is designed to prolong the life of your system's seals. Well, what other ways can farmers ensure their equipment will be ready for planting after sitting still all winter? Well, do not overlook greasing. Although the equipment is not moving, it has potential to rust and corrode. By greasing now, you will not only keep your equipment from rusting through the winter, but it will also get it moving easier in the spring. And then just to recap, you know, simple steps that you can do, like visually checking the condition of your equipment, performing lube scan used oil analysis, and replacing and topping off your fluids are all things you can do now that will help your equipment be ready to go in the spring. Well, Kyle, if uh, folks have questions, want to learn about some of those products, etc., where could people go to learn more? You can always go to your local Cenex dealer. They can help you find the right products, or you can visit Cenex.com to learn more about the best Cenex premium lubricant products for your operation. All right, Cenex.com or your local Cenex dealer for more information. We've been talking today with Kyle Parker, Lubricants District Manager with CHS Inc. and the Cenex brand. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us here today on AOA. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Thank you. And once again, Kyle Parker there with Cenex joining us here today on AOA. Appreciate his time as well as our other guests here on the show today. Randy Dickhoot with Agricultural Economic Insights talking farmland values. Jason Jenkins from DTN, their crops editor. Good conversation with Jason as always. And then Rachel Male uh, helped kick off the show from Operation Lifesaver. Some good uh, winter rail safety tips to remember. So do appreciate uh, the time from uh, all of those folks here during the holidays on AOA. Well, I just want to take a minute here before we wrap things up for today's program and just uh, say thank you. Um, really, I do appreciate uh, everyone who has been listening into the show and the comments that I've uh, received and uh, emails and notes and uh, et cetera, et cetera here since I, I took over the show uh, back in August. I've Really enjoyed this. Uh, it's been a new challenge for me, that is for sure. Uh, but it's something I've always wanted to do. Never uh, knew if I would get the opportunity to do so. Um, but uh, having the chance to take over uh, a show like AOA and a, a long history here uh, with uh, Mike Adams and then Mike Pearson, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I hope you have really enjoyed it since I took over as well. I've been doing my best to try and tell the story of agriculture from all sides and bring in uh, multiple guests here and really just keep a, a good old-fashioned conversation going here uh, around uh, around a cup of coffee, for instance, here, uh, like many folks do uh, in farming and ranching. So uh, I do thank you for listening into the show, of course, and uh, being part of the AOA family here with me. And uh, my goal for 2024 is to continue those conversations. We have a lot of challenges in front of us, of course, trying to get a new farm bill done in D.C. Uh, we got plenty of regulatory challenges and issues that are out there. Uh, we have a presidential election coming up, of course, that's going to be a big driver in our country. And there's just a lot to kind of take in here. And my goal for uh, 2024 is definitely going to be uh, to uh, have the tough conversations more as I've kind of settled into this role I want to ask some of the tougher questions and get both sides of uh, opinion and, and both points of view on issues and et cetera. So uh, I'm looking forward to kind of stepping that up, so to speak, and having that challenge in front of me in 2024. And I hope you will continue to join in the conversation and, and listen in here to AOA. 
Well, I'm going to take a few days off here for the rest of the year, but going to leave you in the very capable hands of former host of AOA, Mike Adams, going to be sitting in and guest hosting. I appreciate Mike uh, being willing to step in here for a couple of days. He's got some great conversations lined up, too. I know tomorrow we'll uh, have a look at weather with Teresa Wells from DTN. He'll talk with Donnell Rehagen from Clean Fuels Alliance America. Recap the latest Cattle on Feed report and more with Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State University. And Mike will talk with the president of the American Soybean Association, Josh Gackle. So looking forward to all that. Thank you for listening into AOA. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.